Being a dad isn't always easy, but it's the best thing I ever did. I'm constantly improving myself to be the best dad I can be through fitness, nutrition, mindset, and lifestyle. As fathers, we pass on many things to our children, such as our mindset, our habits, our attitude, and what we've learned along the way. Each of these will shape who our children are and who they will become. The Warrior Dad's mission is to help you become the healthiest version of yourself, to hone your edge, and to live with purpose. My name is Jim Bartomey, and this is the Warrior Dads Podcast. Hey, before we jump into the interview, whether you're a longtime listener or a first-time listener, I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you. I know there's a lot of podcasts out there, and I'm honored that you would choose this to listen to. Uh, in addition to that, thank you. I wanted to ask you two things. If you do like this episode or any of the other episodes you've listened to, could you leave a comment or a review or a rating? That would really mean a lot, and it really helps out the show a lot whether you're listening to it on iTunes or Spotify or Anchor or whatever platform, um, please take 20 to 30 seconds to leave a nice, honest review. And the second thing is that we can continue the conversation on Facebook and continue to connect and support each other over there in the Warrior Dads uh, private group. So um, if you're on Facebook, I'd really appreciate you to just you know click join and connect with other guys that are looking to become stronger, healthier, happier, better leaders, etc. Okay, let's jump into the interview. Hey guys, thanks for uh, tuning back in for the Warrior Dads podcast. Today I have Sven Riger with me. Sven is a student of strength and fell in love with kettlebells in 2010. Realizing he had found his calling, he now holds multiple certifications through Strong First, including SFG, SFL, SFG2, and SFB making him a Strong First Certified Elite Instructor. And in 2020, he became a Strong First Certified Team Leader. He has also attended the Plan, the Plan Strong and Strong Endurance courses to learn how to create effective training plans for his students. Sven studied healthcare management in university and now works as a strength and fitness coach in Stuttgart, Germany. Sven, thanks for coming on the Warrior Dads podcast. It's a pleasure, Tim. Thank you so much for the invitation. And I'm looking forward to the conversation. Again again <laughs> we should probably just tell everybody we've done this before back in february and um there were uh, some things that i you know won't really get into uh, on here but it's just like you know some things that i was dealing with in my life and um didn't get a chance to listen to the audio for quite a while after um and then when i did finally listen to the audio i was trying to make it work because it was so overlapping and sometimes that does happen when i record with anchor which is the platform I was recording with and push everything out with. But sometimes it happens towards the end, especially if I have an hour long conversation, I might notice that it does happen in the end and I always have to apologize for it. But this is, it really started happening like a quarter of the way through the conversation. And you were literally answering and reacting to things before I was even asking them. So on the listener end, that would have just been absolute horrible experience. And I really hate to waste that interview um, but because we, we covered a lot of cool things, but I know we'll get to it today. And, um, but I still wanted to obviously have you on because I really loved, um, having you on and everything that you said and to share with the audience and all that stuff. So thank you again for making the time. And I appreciate your uh, flexibility and understanding. Of course, like I said, I'm really happy to be here. And our first conversation was so great. I have no doubt that the second one will be even better. I'm, I'm a little perfectionist sometimes. So, uh, after the first interview, I was like, okay, I could have said that. I could have that done better. So um, yeah, 
let's see where this is going. <laughs> okay. Well, actually, that's actually kind of a great starting point. I mean, what is there anything that you left out? And I know we might have to give some context, but is there anything that you wish you would have said last time? If you can remember, and if not, that's fine. But if you if you can remember, is there anything like that you would want to would have, would have wanted to throw out there? I think something that, that stuck really in my mind was when you asked me about how to, to get started with the kettlebell training. And uh, I think, I, well, it's like, like Pavel always says, simple and sinister, right? So try to be as precise as you can. Don't make it too complicated, but make sure that you get the proper results. So um, in my, if I remember correctly, my answer was quite wake and i think i could do that definitely better okay so to give a little context there um so sven referenced pavel and that's pavel tatsulin who is kind of the he's he's uh i mean you could probably you you've met him before and you you know i i never have or never talked to him but the thing is is that uh from what i understand i know he usually gets coined as the person who brought the kettlebells to the west and I know sometimes he doesn't typically like that because he's really a teacher of strength and that's really where his right. focus is. And hence the name exactly. of his company, Strength First. So um, I, I'd say that we call him a strength coach for number one, but then you know we do have to obviously recognize that he did introduce the kettlebells to the West because um, that was a conversation he had with somebody and was like, I don't think, I don't think they're ready for it. And he finally did it and now they're everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, and then, so the, 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 the question I probably had for you more specifically was if somebody wants to get involved with kettlebells, or at least I, I've identified kettlebells as one, a really, really great tool, which I didn't before uh, to my own naiveness and uh, thinking, that, <laughs> thinking that, you know, it was just a, a gimmicky tool, not really understanding the history behind it, not understanding really the ballistics behind it um, and the return on investment for, you know, time and energy. Yeah. You know, so I just was like, oh, okay, well, you know, you could pretty much do everything besides swings with dumbbells, you know, and, but the weight distribution is completely different. Everything is different about it. So um, that was just me needing to grow. And so the thing is, is that I've identified it as a really great tool. And then also because of how busy a lot of people are these days, I see it as a way to get a good amount of work in, in a potentially short amount of time, if that's what your needs are. So for people that have all the time in the world, you can do as much as you want, but for people that have little time, it's a good way, a good investment to, you know, get a good return on investment. So how would you, so using that as the framework, how would you recommend people start using them right away? And then also actually you reference simple and sinister. So maybe you can explain right. that a little bit. So the funny thing actually is, um, and it was the same for me when I first started training with kettlebells. Most people in the beginning try to use them as you would use a dumbbell, right? Yeah. Um, you, you try to basically do the same thing. The only movement or exercise you probably haven't done before is the swing. But, but basically, besides that, most people, you try to use them the exact same way as a dumbbell, which works to some degree. But you will, you, um, you will not get a lot of the, the actual advantages the, the kettlebell will offer you. And, Especially for um, like the press, right? So if you're holding it in the rack position. Yeah. A lot of people with dumbbells, they'll start here exactly, or yeah. sometimes here, but having that kettlebell start in the rack position. And for anybody that doesn't know the rack position, um, the elbow is, what would you say? The elbows to the side, the uh, forearm is diagonal and the hand is pretty much centered in the center of the chest or close to it. 
close to right so sometimes right between the the chest and the shoulder so it okay. depends on your body structure but some somewhere around that position and knuckles up not wrist flexed and knuckles pointing towards the shoulder neck knuckles pointed up more towards the the cheek or the ceiling exactly right and so that with is the, one of the, the the key elements the, yeah. the we, we call it the broken wrist position when you get your wrist uh, flexed backwards. Mm -hmm. So you want to have the basically a straight line from your forearm up to your knuckles as if mm -hmm. there would be no wrist at all, Right. which is a stronger position. Um, so those of you who are practicing some kind of striking martial arts usually know that position because once you bend the wrist and try to hit something, you'll just get injured. Mm -hmm. And it's the same idea behind the, the position in, in the rack whether you try to press it or even when you hold the kettlebell for, for something like a front squat. Right. Yeah. And so when the weight's starting in the beginning in the front of the body, and then you transfer the weight to the side and then you're engaging the lat to actually press. And now the kettlebell is technically behind you and then pressing overhead that way. That's very, very different than a, than a dumbbell press. The, the funny thing is um, lighter kettlebells or up to a certain weight actually will help you with the press and the overhead position because as you said the weight is not centered in your in your hand directly but slightly behind it so as you press the weight will pull you backwards with your arm and guide you into that overhead position so it's actually easier to do the the overhead press with a kettlebell and there's actually a quite nice article on the strong first block it's it's an older one by scott uh, ardella who's a uh, physiotherapist if i remember correctly as well so he got the SF sfg1 and sfg2 certifications he's a certified strength and conditioning specialist but also a practicing physiotherapist and the article explains quite nicely the the differences between the different presses so with a barbell kettlebell or with a dumbbell the pros and cons and the kettlebell basically allows you to to find your most oh well the natural movement or the the most um advantageous movement for your shoulder actually because not everyone is able to press a barbell overhead due to let's say prior injuries or mobility restrictions whereas the kettlebell allows you to move basically completely freely as it would uh, suit you best hmm. okay so then let's get back to um how you would recommend someone get started with kettlebells oh, so, oh and then we also talked about the simple and sinister too right yeah but I think that will lead right into it. So um, usually if you have the, the opportunity, it's always work, uh, best to work with a coach directly because you will get immediate feedback. And even if you just see him, let's say once a week and practice on your own, or even let's say once every two weeks, it doesn't matter really. You just need to get some, some regular feedback, mm -hmm. um, probably more in the beginning and then less the more advanced you get but it's always good to have that second pair of eyes on you because you won't practice for weeks or months without getting any feedback and then having to, to adjust everything, which, you, which usually is uh, way harder. So it's, if you wanna save yourself from a lot of frustration in the beginning, make sure to, to get a proper coach. If that shouldn't be an option at the moment, um, we, we have a kettlebell essentials um, online course where you can learn all the, the the basic kettlebell movements like the swing the deadlift the get up press and squat um, which is still better than just reading about it in my opinion because you have that that visual reference so you just 
you, you don't just read what you're supposed to do, you also see um, how it's supposed to look. Uh, there are different types of people who learn in um, or who learn best with different kind of uh, inputs. But most people actually just by watching or and observing someone uh, are able to to pick up quite a lot of things. So I think those are your two best options: either work with a coach or um, the the Strong First uh, Kettlebell Essentials course. If that shouldn't be an option, um, there's a great book by Pavel called Simple and Sinister which is basically um, your, your groundwork, let's say, in kettlebell training. So you will get a very detailed explanation about the deadlift, how that leads into the kettlebell swing, and then also the get-up. And with these two movements and the accompanying training protocol, you can train for quite some time and make amazing progress with just two exercises, which sounds almost too good to be true, but believe me, the like like... Jim already mentioned the return on investment you get on those two exercises in regards to the time you put in. It's just fantastic. Um, the program is something you can follow three times a week, depending on your schedule, up to five times a week. In the beginning, it's more a daily practice. So you don't really work out. It's just about learning the movements, getting familiar with them, getting competent with them. And then once you train them, with an appropriate weight, let's say for a male with 24 kg and the female with 16 to 20 kg, you really have a strong foundations to build up from there into the different um, exercises that will build upon them. Like so, let's say the clean or the press and the squat. So for people just starting, and I know the simple and sinister program is two-handed, uh, sorry, single-handed swings, right? There is actually an update on the book. Uh, okay. I think it was released uh, at the end of 2019, oh. where Pavel recommends to, because both swing, both um, variations of the swing have their unique advantages. So um, what he recommends is to do every third sessions with uh, two arm swings. So the main every exercise third. will remain the one arm swing every third or every fourth. I'm, I'm not sure at the moment. I don't have the book with me. A session he re recommends you to to do the two arm swings okay because the two arm swings because of the rotational force and the amount of output needed to do a one arm swing so you mentioned like the 24 kilo bell and for someone who's not i guess a good recommendation at least from what i read or heard when i was first starting with them is like you know well which which size do i get you know if you have if you have a lot of money and money is not an issue or you know you have the money to spend on multiple sizes then I would say, you know, go with uh, a slightly lighter one and then obviously a slightly heavier one instead of getting right. two of the same size. That's my opinion. Um, and then right. the In first the size, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And the first size you would get, the main size, uh, not the heavy one, would be a one that you could press anywhere from five to eight repetitions overhead with good form. What, what do you think about that? There's actually quite a nice chart on, on the Strong First uh, Instagram page that was just posted recently. Okay. And it's basically taken directly from, from the, the Simple and Sinister book. So usually a good starting weight for most men is the 16 kilo bell. Mm -hmm. It will be a little bit easy for you in regards to swings, um, but it's, it's um, an appropriate way to do basically every movement, movement with it in a safe manner so that you can um 
focus on on learning the technique first if money should not be an issue like you said then try to to get probably a set of three bells so it, it's, it depends on on the body weight um so usually it would a good idea would to be uh, to get a 16 a 20 and a 24 kilo bell for most men if you're lighter let's say below 70 kilos that would probably be something around 150 pounds or something yeah. like that yeah. yeah about that so below that i'd say take a 12 a 16 and a 20 okay um just to have different weights for different exercises because you will feel that for some exercises it's actually good to to just have a lighter weight because it will help you like like let's say in the goblet squat where you hold the kettlebell by the the handles in front of you which actually is a quite nice counterweight so for those who have issues with uh, doing a squat the goblet squat will will help you there quite a lot but you don't, don't want to have a weight that's too heavy right you just want to have a weight that's um heavy enough so that you're having um the opportunity to squat mm -hmm. and using the weight as an assistance basically Okay. Yeah. For most men, I'd say get a 16 and um, if money should not be an issue, get a 20 and a 24, because then you will be set up for the next weeks or even months of your training. It's interesting. You mentioned the 20 and the 24 up from the 16, because one of the things that I had read about kettlebells and the history of the kettlebells was that the reason that they were, and, and this could be wrong. So correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong. Um, but the article had said that they were only in increments of eight kilos. And the reason yeah, was right. because they, you needed to master that particular weight before moving on to the other weight. And you had to respect the weight and the resistance and the load before you just jumped right in. But now with, you know, dumbbells, I have increments of five pounds. Mm -hmm. um, whereas if you're doing eight kilos, that's what, 17, 18 pounds. Um, right it's like you have to really master that. So if you're doing an overhead press or, you know, you, you mentioned the getup, you're doing the getup with a 16 kilo bell, which is 35 pounds. You have to really be proficient in the getup before you move up to the 24 kilo bell, which is 53 pounds. And then to go to the 32 kilo, which is 70 pounds, you know? So right. that's, I, I, I actually love, liked that train of thought. And I thought that that was really, well, one, clever. And then two, it just it made people also not rush exactly because people are in a rush <laughs> a lot of times and it made you know it keeps you there because it's like okay you either stay here until you get good or you go here and potentially get hurt yep or you do it sloppy and if you do it sloppy you're probably not going to get very much respect anyway so no, you want no results and and yeah exactly and the results won't be there so you might as yep. well just stay here stay humble and take it slow and be patient. So I like, I, I like, I like the four that kilo increments in regards to technique training, mm -hmm. because the eight kilo jump can sometimes be too intimidating for, for people just uh, who are just about to learn the movements. Yeah. But definitely for training, once you get competent in the basic movements, the eight kilo jumps as big as they may sound are, like you said, they will force you to, to be patient, to take your time. Because the thing is, um, it takes time for the body to, to change. The adaptations will take time. So a lot of 
people who get strong in the beginning mistake their their gains for actually let's say increase in muscle size what happens though is it's just basically um you're, you're getting more efficient with the movement you're learning the movement your the, the muscle recruitment gets more um efficient your body's knows basically how to do the movement better without using um more more energy and the the actual physiological changes that take months so um that, that's one of the dangers that people rush and increase weights too too heavy because they feel the movement get better they they get stronger um, but the, the tissue adaptations, they take way longer than the, the neurological adaptations, actually. Mm -hmm. So when we were talking about the double, the double arm swing and the single arm swing, um, if you remember in the first conversation, I had mentioned to you an injury that I had gotten from going too hot, too fast with the 32 kilo bell yeah, I too remember. quickly into the single arm swings. So I was doing, so, you know, it's, it's the pandemic. I finally got my first 16 kilo bell. I couldn't get my hands on a 24 kilo bell. I finally was able to get my hands on a 32 kilo bell. And I was like, oh, this is great because I'll still do the single arm swings with the 16 kilo and I'll do the double arm swings with the 32 kilo. And it was getting good. And I was doing the, the, so for people that are listening, the simple and sinister routine is, um, it's like an imam. It's a five minute imam. So it's, well, I guess you can consider like every 30 seconds, but you can really do it however you want. So it's anyway, it's, if you're doing single arm swings, it's 10 swings, each arm every minute for five minutes, which is a hundred swings. And so I was doing two handed swings, um, 10 and 10. So 20 every minute for five minutes. And I was working and I worked up to a hundred and it was going good because the, the 16 kilo was getting a little too easy. <laughs> <laughs> so then one day I get this bright idea to, um, and it was like a two days after I had just done my max. So I'd done the, the daily dose deadlift program. And I had gone from 345 pounds of one rep max with a deadlift to 410, which was a pretty fairly easy pull. Um, and I did that in around 70, 75 days. Cause we had a week off of vacation. I still brought my bell with me on vacation, but I was, I was still getting swings in on vacation. Um, but, um, I, I wasn't deadlifting. So I kind of went back a week and I kind of set myself back. So typically it would take two months and then this took, this took, uh, well, no, maybe it's 45 days and it's 45 days. Maybe I finish it in 60. Anyway, um, in, in roughly two months, I went from, I like increased my deadlift like 16% because I think I could have pulled 415. But anyway, two days later, after I did that, which was probably not enough recovery time, I decided to try, oh, let's try single arm 32 kilo bell swings. And on rep 94, I just, I was in the downward phase and I reflecting back, I probably wasn't staying locked out because if you're, if you've never done a kettlebell swing before, you have to keep that upright locked position until that bell comes really, really, really close to you. Almost basically, it, you know, correct, you know, uh, let me know if I'm right or not, but basically you want the forearm to almost touch the thigh, the inner thigh before you yes. hinge and go back. Right. And it's a quick motion too, right? It's not a let the bell swing through and then push it forward. It's waiting for that bell, waiting, 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 mm -hmm. and then boom, boom. And then like popping, popping back, popping forward. Yep. Right. Right. So 
Um, and if anybody wants to know how to do a real kettlebell, you know, Sven's giving all these other resources, go to Sven's Instagram, <laughs> which is, I will, I will link up. Sven has awesome videos. <laughs> be, prepared, be prepared to blush and you are on video. Um, only probably only doing audio though. Um, he has slow motion videos, which I love your slow motion videos, by the way, I know you just, you know, putting a filter on or whatever, or, you know, just changing you. it, but your slow motion videos, you can see the timing and they are very, very important to do yeah. for yourself. I would say, especially if you're just starting with, with swings is that look at your timing as to Video when that yourself. bell is coming down and that descend, because that is huge. And what I didn't do was I didn't wait long enough. And I think what I did was I hinged my hips too soon. And when the bell got down through the legs, it pulled me and it put so much torque on my body that basically my like S2 felt like it popped and it went right up my spine yeah. and down my legs. And I literally was just able to drop the bell and fall to the floor. So it's just, and still like the heaviest deadlift I'm doing right now, I just did it uh, yesterday. It was 315. So I'm still like trying to take it easy. And like, I it's felt a little, little tightness. Yeah, mm -hmm. it is. So I'm, I'm swinging with the 32 belt, but not single arm. And I've since gotten my hand on a 24 kilo belt. Single arm swings with that is okay. But I'm just, yeah. So I'm still not even back to that. And that's almost a year ago. So, so may I add a few points here? Yeah, yeah, please. So the first of all, and that is important for people starting out training. Um, the 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 interval you mentioned. So doing one the, the ten swings per side every minute, or mm -hmm. um, ten on the first side, and then ten on the second side every thirty seconds. That is actually the test. So that is not the training routine. Oh, okay. So, that's so that is not what you want to do every every training session because it's just getting too much. Um, and like you said, it's just five minutes, but it's it's brutal. So if you're not used to that, even the 16 kilo bell will will wreck you in the beginning completely. Um, there is a there is a test. That's funny. That's where I started off at. <laughs> yeah, most people do that actually. Oh, okay. That's, when when Pavel wrote the second edition to the book, he actually um, introduced the the idea of timeless. So basically, you're, you're going to do 10 swings, either two arm or one arm, doesn't matter. And then you put the bell down and then you rest. For however long it takes you to, to completely recover. So you should be able to, to talk in normal sentences. And then you do your, your second set. And then what you can do is record the total amount of time it, it took you to do uh, the, the 100 swings. And then you will do the same thing for the 10 get-ups afterwards oh, and then okay. what you will see over time there won't be a, a linear progression let's say from from training to training so you won't get you won't be uh faster from from session to session depending on on how you feel on a given day on how your recovery is it might actually take you longer so okay. and that's you probably you get like deeper into the session it'll probably take you a little longer because yeah. like your first couple swing your first couple sets exactly 10, you'll probably be able to have that just like, go. the talk test pass the talk test right. earlier but then when you get closer to maybe 50 60 70 swings mm -hmm. now maybe you're going to be huffing and puffing you're more fatigued more exactly yeah. it will take you longer for your rest periods which is good so um 
in the beginning, there is no need basically to, um, to have those time rest periods to get proper adaptations, which is funny because it, it sounds so completely different from what you're getting told um, most of the time. Um, but what you will recognize or what you will find out with, the, with this approach that over the weeks and months, the, rest, uh, the, the total time it takes you to do the 100 swings will decrease. Mm -hmm. okay. And you can work up to quite a, a heavy weight with that approach. And that at one point, uh, what you can do to basically progress is you start doing the 10 swings on the minute. So you do 10 swings every minute, you rest till the beginning of the next, and you do that until you have uh, 100 swings, which is 10 minutes. Gotcha. So double the time of the, the test you would do. Gotcha. Um, for those and that's, of you who and that's are even for you, like let's say you were to do simple incentive, sir, but you weren't going to test. Well, actually, I guess there's probably no, like, would you even do, let me just ask you, would you even do simple and sinister today? Yes. I did simple and sinister. But the actual for protocol, or would you do, wait, what did you say? You did what? I, I did the, the simple and sinister for one and a half years. <laughs> one and a half years? Yeah. Just, well, not only there were a few phases where I had to, um, prepare for uh, a recertification or for let's say the bodyweight certification I did mm -hmm. but still the, the main focus of my training program was uh, the swing and the get up to, to reach the, the sinister goal so for one and a half years I followed basically um, just those two exercises a slightly different program than outlined in the book because at one point you will have to make certain adjustments and uh, I was on a, on a test program by Pavel Matzek one of our master instructors from from Czechia, um, but yeah, um, one that's and a half years just swings and get ups. Well, that's what, almost. So um, there was a phase where I did, I think it was three months, uh, one barbell lift a day because I had to recertify my, my barbell certification. And then I had a phase of, I think, yeah, three months again, where I um, prepared for the bodyweight certification. So I added uh, one arm pushups and uh, pistol squats, but, but not that many, to be honest, because the funny thing uh, about simple and sinister or the swing and the get up to be more precise is that it will give you a huge carryover into so many different areas and activities that just um, on, on the first glance have nothing to do with those two exercises. So um, they will give you a huge benefit with, um, I, I would say a session takes sometimes just half an hour. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, you will get huge benefits just from, from those two exercises, especially when the weights increase over time. But, but you weren't training the five and 10 protocol, meaning the five, five minute swings, 10 minute get-ups, you were training in a different way for those tests you're saying, exactly. right? Okay. The, the, the way I was training was um, doing the swings on the minute. So 10, uh, 10 swings every full minute, resting accordingly in between. And on days where I felt, uh, well, a little bit more tired, I just uh, chose the, the timeless variation. So okay. And how no many days a week were you doing that? Taking as, uh, five days a week. So from Monday through Friday. Okay. And then same thing and with the get up? I can tell One you, get up. Well, no, one, it's still one get up so every 10 minutes or a one, one minute. 
right? So that would get be up the every minute, right? Yeah, exactly. Which is quite doable. So most people struggle with the swings. Ten swings every thirty seconds, that is um, quite brutal. I mean, you have about ten to fifteen seconds of rest in between. So it's basically a Tabata with an extra round. Right. The original Tabata protocol is four minutes. Yeah. So you go, you go for five. Um, but the get-ups for most people are not the issue. Um, so since the, there are two goals to reach, basically, there's a simple challenge and the sinister, uh, a simple goal and the sinister challenge. So you can look them up on, on the Strong First homepage or get the book. They're explained there as well. It's basically the, the, the five minutes and then the 10 minutes for the get-up with different weights for, for men and women. But there is no... Um, differentiation between uh weight so whether you're a 60 kilo guy like oh wait pavlis pavel matzek is 70 kilos or i'm slightly above 100 kilos it's still the same weight for both of us so his issue is actually the get up because he has to do it with 48 kilo as well for the sinister challenge um but he is actually doing the, the swings well not easily but quite comfortably so um the 48 kilos not much for yeah, you for the one arm swings i have to say that as well um that is uh it, it sounds it sounds sinister <laughs> that's where the names come name come from um but it's when you train for it i mean the simple goal for men would be the the one arm swing and the get up both with 32 kilo yeah, which is quite doable for, I'd say, almost everyone. Granted, you take the time to practice for it. So yeah. if, you, if you take the, the timeless approach and just do your, your sets, don't rush. Try to stay powerful. That is actually very important to get the, the, the proper adaptation. So it's, it's not a uh, meta, metabolic conditioning training, but you want to stay strong and powerful with each rep. So it's interesting you mentioned metabolic conditioning. This is a conversation I've had with my cousin before, who was a firefighter for many years and um, is still very active. And uh, he trains quite hard every day, um, minus Saturday and Sunday, still active. But he always puts a Metcon in the beginning of his training, usually with some kind of vest on. Usually he does 50-pound vests. Mm -hmm. And then he'll, uh, and then he does his strength followed by a lot of, you know, it could be curls or triceps. And, and then he goes on to his core. Sometimes it's a core Metcon and he'll like time himself. And so, you know, we've talked before because it's a little different than the way that I was not like taught to train when I was younger. Cause that was very, very different then. It was more like a bodybuilding style when I was first introduced to exercising yeah. when I was 16, but then you know, even through the certifications that I've gone through, through the Czech Institute and things like that, I've done more just kind of, you know, pick, pick three exercises, pick four exercises, pick five exercises and adjust the rep sets, uh, things like that. And the rest periods, depending on what you're doing and the intensity level. So if it was going to be higher intensity, I'd, I'd increase the reps because of the higher nervous system activation. Yeah. And it was a little bit more scientific. Um, and so he trains, very, very differently. And he trains essentially for like the worst day of his life. Mm -hmm. And especially as a firefighter, he did have some really grueling days, you know, and he's got a lot of, he's got a lot of kit on. He's, 
you know, he's exhausted sometimes. And he made really good points. He's like, you know, well, sometimes we have to do things that are more cardiovascular or more like a Metcon. And then we might have to actually lift something or someone out of a building or carry someone or something, um, uh, you know, a, a fellow firefighter that fell down or, or got hurt or something like that, you know? So that was kind of like what he was training for, but he also would say that he's training for the hardest day of his life. And then, you know, and so I was like, okay, you know, that's a good point. I always try to learn from whoever I can and, and figure out what makes the most sense for me and, or just in, even in general, like what the body can do or should do. And then I've, and then I heard Pavel talk, you know, especially on the, the Joe Rogan podcast. And I was like, wow, some of this is like yeah. kind of crazy. But then, mm -hmm. so I was having a conversation with him about some of his principles, about Pavel's principles that he teaches, teaches at strong first. And his argument was, um, because I also know that Pavel's trained some, you know, uh, special forces guys yeah. and tier one operators right. and things like that. But a lot of the principles that Pavel would teach, I guess, were tested really on the platform for um, powerlifting and things like that, where you're not actually needing, I guess, quote unquote, needing metabolic conditioning. But if you were a special forces guy or you were a SWAT guy or you were law enforcement or even a firefighter and you needed that extra type of conditioning you know, how do you train for that? How do you apply those principles? You know, because I know he talks about the mitochondria being healthier and more efficient, right. yep. and that's where the energy systems are. So, but can you go as far to say that if you don't do, if you don't do anything to develop your conditioning, well, if you don't do anything to, to develop your conditioning <laughs> and you're working on your mitochondria, are you going to be able to perform in that kind of situation? Are you going to be able to, to, to work just as hard or outperform someone that does do that kind of work. I guess CrossFit athletes would be like the biggest one to compare it to as like in the athlete world, right. Or in the, in the fitness world, more than like comparing, Probably, yeah. you know, like a, a Navy seal or something like that, like the way that they might work out, which is kind of very similar to CrossFit, I guess, depending on who you talk to. So, so that is a very interesting conversation. I can tell you. Um, and, uh, if you want to go really deep into it and get some some very ex experienced, um, well, I'm curious on your thoughts. Um, feedback on it, Eric Frohard. So he's a former CEO of Strong First, a former Navy SEAL, um, who worked quite a lot with Pavel. You should try to get him on the show hmm. because he basically says the kettlebell changed his his life in that regard and prepared him for everything. And he was using Pavel's protocols to prepare himself for the deployments. He took a kettlebell with him into the deployments and everything. And he said, without the kettlebell, um, it would have been different, very, very different because he had a similar um, approach to training, like, like most people, the, the conditioning thing. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I'm, I'm interested to hear your, your <laughs> I'm interested to hear your thoughts on it. There are always exceptions to the rule, but in my opinion, for most people, it would be better to work with a slightly lower intensity than they would. Because I think a big mistake most people make is that they always try to test them in every training session. But the thing is, if you always test yourself, you don't really improve basically. Um, so you, you have a concept of peaking basically and mm -hmm. training. Training is you build the potential 
and in peaking you try to realize the potential but you're not adding any further um, capabilities let's say hmm. so people who are always in peaking at one point will run into the issue that they don't increase their base so their peak will remain the same or maybe even will decrease over time so usually what you will do um, in preparation, let's say for a competition, and that was tested with uh, Olympic weightlifters, with powerlifters, but also with with uh, endurance athletes. And um, you can take a really deep dive taking the strong endurance seminar in that regard. You get a slight a slight um, um, peek into it with the quick and the dead book Pavel wrote. But usually those higher intensity training sessions you will get a benefit from them for about two to four weeks or maybe four to six weeks, depending on the person and how the, the training actually looks. But what will happen at one point is that you're stopped making progress because it's just too much for your body. And he will, will say, no, what you're doing um, is, it has too high of a cost for me. So I will make you stop doing what you're doing by uh, the mechanism sometimes are actually not that clear. It's very interesting. It has some neurological aspects. Um, but, but what is definitely clear from a sports science point is you can't go too heavy for too long. It, it just doesn't work. Right. So usually you have those higher, uh, those, those, those very intense um, phases of your training for about four weeks, roughly. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at, let's say, um, MMA fighters preparing for a specific tournament, usually camp is about six to eight weeks, but there's a lot of technique practice with um, the last four weeks being the most intense weeks or maybe the, the last um, five weeks, depending on, on the schedule. But what will have to follow a very intense phase is um, uh, you call it a taper, so you you lower the the volume you, you do a little less to allow that that recovery that um realization of the potential afterwards mm -hmm. so most people can't train too intense for too long right i think one of the things that people try to achieve with the metabolic conditioning is more metabolic or like muscle endurance isn't it to without without yeah. having to try to just do 15 reps because sometimes it can be a little higher intensity movements or explosive movements with a Metcon, depending on how you mm -hmm. um, position it. You know, like I was mentioning with my cousin's routine, he does a lot of pushes and pulls with a tank. Um, yeah. So like dragging and pushing and dragging and pushing or carries and things like yeah. that. Um, Very great exercises. Yeah. Yeah. And then, but he'll do it in a way where it's like, he's doing maybe eight rounds, five or eight rounds with a vest on yeah. and timing himself and seeing how, how quickly he can get it done. And I guess, and I'm assuming with minimal rest. Um, Those sessions have definitely their value, especially for, for people like, let's say, military, first responders, uh, firefighters. Mm -hmm. But still, I wouldn't do them too often. Um, what I did for, for quite a long time here when I, when I moved to Stuttgart was I had um, four days of strength training. And then Saturdays, I did a, a modified strongman session which was very, very intense, but, but it was just that one session a week. The other okay. sessions were medium to, well, depending on the training program, but they were doable every time. 
sometimes harder, sometimes a little easier, but always doable. And there was the one hard session a week. And that's actually um, what's also supported by, by sports science is that you can have one heavy or one intense session for, for a given training quality, let's say endurance or strength. Mm -hmm. But more than that will get you in trouble over the long run, very likely. Because one of the, another mistake people make in, in their training is that they confuse the, the effort with intensity. So when you look at intensity, let's say in strength training, it's always the percentage um, you're using as a training weight relative to your, your, your maximum weight. Right. Your one rep max, right? A lot, exactly. of, a lot of times it's high intensity interval training right. or hit training. A lot of people look at it as high. What it really is, is usually high volume training. Yeah. Not and actually very, high very high effort. But the, the intensity actually decreases over um, the, the amount of time, the sets you're doing. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you take the, the simple and sinister challenge and you're doing the, the five minutes of swings, so 10 swings every 10 seconds, if you go all out from the very beginning, you will see that your, your power, your, your explosiveness will decrease over, over the sets. You just can't keep that, the, that high intensity, right. which is okay for a test, but in training, you want to keep that intensity, which is why the, the timeless approach um, uses those, those long rest periods. The, the rest periods are, should be long enough so your body can recover in between the sets so right. that your, um, your next set is as powerful as the very first one. And the last one, let's say the 10th, should be as powerful as the first. Right. Um, there's and actually typically Pavel, Oh, go ahead. Uh, there's the Pavel put out a, um, a list of stop signs in an article he wrote for, I can't remember the the website it was it was a website for military training basically it was about a pull-up protocol um but one of the, the the key points there of those five um stop signs is once you're you're getting slower with your reps you should stop your set because you're just adding to the fatigue but you're not getting any more benefit from the repetitions gotcha yeah i, I did when you're talking about the high intensity um you know, scientifically, they say that the nervous system needs more time to recover than the muscles. So if you're doing anything in the eight to 12 repetition range, you can usually get away with that 60 to 90 second rest. But if you're doing anything in the one to five, one to six repetition range, you're going right. to need anywhere from at least two minutes all the way sometimes up to five or six minutes rest for the nervous system to kind of come back online. And yeah. I've even heard Powell talk about studies being done where it's 10 minute rests. Right. If but then I've heard of studies being done where it's like, anything over five, the muscles tend to cool down too much. And then you almost have to kind of warm back up a little bit. So that kind of gets to be a little bit of a gray area. It's, it's always um, huh. theory and practice, right? Yeah. yeah it's always um, you, you have to find, sometimes you have to find the middle ground mm -hmm. and, and uh, to, to, to get a working solution for you, but, but um, rest periods and um, duration of, a set in regards let's say to to um, power or endurance depend on what what um, adaptation you actually want to get and which kind of muscle fibers you want to you want to target so there are the fast twitch and the slow twitch fibers and the, the intermediate fibers and there's value in adding in training all of them depending on what your let's say your work or your your sport demands of you 
but depending on which fiber structure or um, adaptation I want to get, the, the rest periods or the, 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 the um, saturation will change quite drastically. So mm -hmm. um, it's always hard to get that, that one answer that fits every scenario because it's just not like that. Yeah, but, I, that's um, why I always ask people when working with them is like, you know, we talk about their goals. Right. And like, you know, well, what are you trying you need to a achieve? Context. Yeah, absolutely. Because you can't just start throwing reps and sets and exercises out with with no goal in mind or just willy nilly. So, yeah, I mean, you, and you have to have a why behind that goal, too. So, exactly. you know, what you, what's the purpose of the goal? I mean, sometimes that's self-explanatory, but sometimes you have a, you need a bigger reason than just, oh, I want to lose 10 pounds or I just want to lose 15 pounds. So there it may work for some in the beginning, and it's sometimes the thing that gets people started, but over the long run, right, you need something something more than that. Yeah. Um, otherwise, yeah. It, it, it just gets frustrating at a certain point. Why? What are you training for right now? Is there anything specifically that you're, or what's, what's the next thing that you're working towards or doing for yourself? Um, at the moment, actually, I had to, to, to change my training a little bit because I ran into issues with an exercise that was um, just, it was, it was, I'm not sure what the issue was. It was, it's, I started to Your overload smaller muscles around. Exactly. I had to stop doing them, sadly. Oh, really? Okay. Um, yeah. I got to a point where um, I had, so I was doing sets of, two and three reps, which doesn't sound like much because um, most of the time that's the, the, the lower end of the scale in regards to, to reps per set. Mm -hmm. But with the, the barbell band press and lowering it in between sets, it was actually quite a, um, uh, it was quite demanding on the shoulder and on, also on the elbow flexors. And, uh, and how much weight were you using so that everybody <laughs> that's uh, listening can know? So, so my training point, uh, weight, before I stopped was 55 kilos, um, which just got too much. So I, I will have to change the, the training approach in regards to that exercise. Um, so I switched gears at the moment. But which the is 121 pounds having... for everyone that's trying to do the conversion in their head. 121 <laughs> pounds, right. one arm. Bent, I'm bad in the conversion. So... Maybe the bend press, for those of you who, who are not familiar with the lift. So we, we talked about the military press earlier, which is you, you stand upright, you have the, the, the weight. So let's say the kettlebell in, in the rack position Jim described, and you press your arm overhead. So the body stays exactly where it is, and your arm moves with the weight into the overhead position. The bend press basically is the complete opposite. So you're, you're racking the weight. If you take a kettlebell, you have to to move your arm, your elbow slightly behind you so that it's basically uh, basically resting on your side. And then what you do is you keep the arm in place while you press yourself away and down from the weight. So you're basically, so, you're, you're hinging, you're, you're rotating slightly. There's right? a rotation. You're, you're rotating, hinge, toward, exactly. you're, you're rotating towards the arm holding the kettlebell. And then you're yeah. hinging and kind of going sideways. <laughs> away from the bell so sideways and forward in between yeah, in the legs basically this is where the rotation comes in right yep and then you do that until your arm is straight right and then from until that the position is, you lower you your hips slightly and, and then, then stand up and then stand up so you're doing that with 121 pounds with a barbell <laughs> in one hand 
So my big goal was to do that yeah. with, uh, so for one rep, of course, not as a training weight, but for, for one rep with um, 105 kilos, which is my body weight. Um, wow. But that will have to take a backseat for now until I found an approach. So you're currently that, 105 kilos? Uh, some, something around that. So I'm usually slightly above 100 to, to 105. Wow, that's 230 pounds. Pretty good. So, how tall are you? I'm about like only can give you meters, not inch. Uh, oh, for one, one meter. <laughs> I don't know six. <laughs> I only know feet and inches. <laughs> yeah. That... <laughs> Wait, let me let me see if I convert can convert that quite uh, quite uh, quite fast here. Like these damn Americans oh. with their feet and inches. <laughs> I'm bad at converting. I can tell you degrees or, or are we. whatever. We it's are very just, bad at converting. Um, so let me see. What did you I'm, say? Meters? So let me see. So that is... You go in inches, right? Or feet? Well, feet and then inches. Uh, don't make it easier for me. <laughs> so I would be six feet one. Six foot one. Okay. A six foot one, right. Not six foot one. <laughs> nice. That's a good size. So, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually never concerned about with how light I am either. Like I actually, I, I never want to be the lightest person in the room yeah. either. You know, like I'm no. just, yeah. I, actually I never had like any concerns in regards with my body weight going up or down, to be honest, because I always had the impression it, it naturally did what it had to, uh, had to do mm -hmm. so um it, it's funny i mean i i had a closer eye on that a few years ago when i was practicing martial arts because i was thinking about competing in in, in grappling tournaments where you have the different weight classes so i didn't want to go uh, above 100 mm -hmm. but um i had to stop training when i moved here to stuttgart uh oh gosh seven years ago now Wow. So um, I don't keep an eye on that anymore, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, I don't either. Usually, I, I'm, I'm pretty much around the same weight all the time. So I fluctuate from above, slightly above 100 to 105 throughout the week. Um, yeah. But yeah. That, that was the goal for the body weight and um, for the bench press. The bench, bench, bench press. press. Yeah. Yeah. And, okay. and um, I mean, you should look up Arthur Saxon. He's oh, a, I have. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, All-time yeah. strongman. Yeah, he still holds the record um, in the bench press. I mean, over 100 years now. No one even came close, basically. What is that? So, How much? I, can, I think I can give you pounds. It's something around 380 pounds. Jeez. Yeah, that's just... I know uh, Sando put up, put up 300 pounds with one hand. It's it's funny. There there was actually a competition between him and and and, and Saxon. Oh really? Which, which Sando lost? Yeah, that was in London. Um, oh wow. Do you know the the Legend series from Rogue? No. So they put up uh, a documentary series about the old time strongmen. Really? Yeah, it's it's fascinating. I can tell you. There's, I think they stopped it. I'm not sure if they will return to. Uh, produce more episodes they they did five until now so the first one is actually sando and uh, the last one the fifth one is about arthur saxon wow 
I'll, so that is I wonder quite, if I could catch it online or something. They don't talk much about the band press, sadly, but but it's interesting just um, to to hear about the lives those people lived and um, the, the the things they did. It's 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 yeah. Sometimes yeah. you read the numbers and you know what they did, but you just can't um, get them together in your head because yeah. you think it's it's just not possible. I heard there was a story it. about Sando about how he used to do like all these kind of like you know these tricks, and he put these straps kind of like the stirrups from a horse and put it up overhead and he bent down and he pressed the horse or he stood I up with the horse think... kind of yeah that would exactly have been amazing exactly to see if that happened i mean it's 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 crazy um th that gets mentioned in the documentary oh really so you should you should start look uh, watching them you really li will like them you can yeah. find them on youtube they put them up there for free oh okay oh yeah i'll definitely um, check them out then so I hope that they will continue with the series because it's just, it's, it's fascinating. Um, they did that in cooperation with the, the Stark Center in, in uh, Austin, Texas, I think, if I remember correctly. Okay. Um, so, yeah. That's cool. They have also a second um, documentary series about stone lifting. Oh, okay. So the, the first episode is in uh, Northern Spain which uh, basically it's more like a rural sports event, basically. So they have diff different um, disciplines. Um, the second one is, is about Scotland. And the third one is about uh, Iceland and the culture there. So it's, it's, it's amazing. Just seeing the pictures of the landscapes and everything, it's, it's mm -hmm. breathtaking. And um, that actually brings me into my other training goal. So the band press for now, has to take a backseat. But have you heard of the Dini stones? Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. I'm training on, on, on lifting them actually. Oh nice. So uh, it's basically it's basically doing a deadlift with two weights. So those are two stones. Um, they weigh around wait it's about 350 kilograms so it should be probably around 800 pounds something like that. Wow. So they're different size. So there's a bigger one and a smaller one. You have to take a very wide stance. And usually you have one arm in front of you and one arm behind you. So um, that is the, the, the challenge I'm training for at the moment. How are you training for that? With stones? Not yet. So you have to, to send them a video of you doing a, a rack pull. Okay. With at least 300 kilos. So about 700 pounds. Just what to, are you at now? I'm at 280. I had to, um, to, to, to stop the training because of just too much going on in, in, uh, in, in my life at, uh, at one point. So okay. I didn't do that for the last four weeks by now, probably. I was just at a point where my rec recovery wasn't that good anymore. So I decided to, to back off and then build up again, but I hit the, the same spot and um, plateaued there. So because you have to take and, a wider uh, stance, are you training in uh, like a sumo deadlift? Not yet. I, I still um, did a basically conventional deadlift or rack pull, so arms outside the legs. But I'm in, in contact with one of the, our master instructors from Strong First, Jason Marshall, who lifted them two years ago. And he was like, you know what? Just um, stop doing the rack pulls for the moment. Do some desertion squats and, and full range deadlifts. 
work on on different ranges of motions, get stronger there, and then return to to the rack pulls. How deep think, do you have to go down? Is it like is it like um, equivalent to more like a trap bar? Because I know you don't have to you bend as deep for a trap bar, correct? Than, than a traditional yeah. barbell because the handles stick up a little bit higher. So the rack pull would be from slightly below my knees. So it's I think forty eight inches off the ground. Okay. So if so you also like train, if you also trained in deficit, uh, in a deficit deadlift with slightly lighter, you know, with lighter than your, your max, of course. But if you, if you raise yourself up to train deeper, mm -hmm. then that would, that would also be good too. Right. Cause I've heard, I've heard typically it's about a 50 pound, yeah. um, perceived difference in effort. Right. Like if you can, so if you can pull 400, let's say, or your kilo, you were like around 600 for your max deadlift, 616. Right. If uh, the, the direct pull, yeah. Yeah. So then if you did, you know, a deficit deadlift, you know, then it would be like, well, rack pull. I'm just talking about it's traditional, mm -hmm. a traditional deadlift. Um, so whatever that would be, you know, if you did like a 400 pound deficit deadlift, it would probably feel like a 450 oh, to yeah. a 475 Definitely. pound, you know, if you're like standing on a platform or something. Yeah, and you don't need a very high uh, elevation actually for the the deficit pulls to to feel heavy. Right. That yeah. Is... Exactly. And you're training like the bottom at that point. Yeah. Exactly. Just, like you mentioned, the stones. It's different. The Dinny stones are different. But I have a uh, the Rogue Strongman sandbag, and I only have the 150 pound one. Mm -hmm. But that's nice because I get to get down on the ground and actually pick it up from the ground. And you have to get a lot deeper yeah. than than the mm -hmm. bar. Yeah, which is awesome. An awesome movement to to train, I think. Um, yeah, I, I'll, I'll especially use carry, if you're going like I'll back do, to... I'll do front carries for like yeah you know, grip grip strength and things like that, and just uh, for for yeah. just to get a you you'll get a huge carryover from those into into uh, all sorts you're going to do in life. I mean, sometimes you will have to pick stuff up from the floor, carry it. And, and yeah, sandbags are awkward in that regard because you, you just sometimes don't get a real hold on them and you really struggle with seemingly easy weight, but the way it behaves, it's, 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 it's great. I like sandbags yeah. um, very much. Yeah, this um, is like a big marshmallow because it's supposed to um, <laughs> it's supposed to like represent an atlas stone, obviously. Oh, yeah, I it's think not... I know what you mean, right? Here, I'll just turn the camera so you can see it. Yeah, right. It's that it's guy right there. there. Yeah. yeah. So again, like a big marshmallow just sitting on the ground, no handles or anything like that. So that's yeah, fun. To, makes that's it fun so to throw around. To lift. Yeah. Yeah. But it's fun. It's fun. Yeah, and once you well, once I have the three hundred kilos, because you you have to send them the video, otherwise they won't um, invite you to to try to lift the stones because it basically makes no sense. Right. Um, once I have that done, I will switch to to weight pins which I will uh, load appropriately and then start building up from there. Mm -hmm. There are some, uh, Rogue actually sells some imi Dini imitations rings. Oh, which really? are, I already got them because I thought I will, would hit the 300 kilo rack pull uh, faster or sooner, basically. Um, but <laughs> like so often in life, I slightly miscalculated with that and it took, <laughs> takes way longer than I, than I thought it would. The thing is I'm, I'm I quite if you could use the principles in the daily dose deadlift and like that kind of uh, undulation. I, I will have to see. I mean, ba Jason basically told me to, to lift the heavy once a week. 
with with all the swings I'm doing and the snatches with the kettlebell, usually you get enough um, carryover from them into your deadlift. Mm -hmm. So what I was doing basically once a week, I did uh, seven singles working up to a heavy set. And I went up five kilos each each week. Oh, wow. And I started with 220 kilos and moved up to 280 with that. Nice. And I thought by how it felt that I would be able to hit the, to, uh, the 300 mm -hmm. with uh, deloading and then building up again. But yeah, well, then my sleep wasn't good. Um, work got stressful and everything. So recovery didn't go as well as I hope, hoped it would go. And yeah, now I will just adjust slightly and then see where this is going to lead. Cool. Very cool. Like, like so often in life, you will have to take a detour to where you want to go, but that's fine. Yeah. With me. I mean, my, my original plan was to, to go to Scotland this year. But the funny thing was that the rack pull actually, so the height I have to pull in is, I'm not sure why, very disadvantageous for me. Really? So, yeah, it's, I'm quite strong in the deadlift. And I thought, well, Based on my max, the 300 should be doable in a, in a few months. But when I first tried to, to lift from that elevation, it was so hard for me to, to get everything proper tensed and braced that I had real, real issues with, with uh, the rack pull. It, it's the same weight uh, felt lighter in the deadlift, to be honest. Really? What's your max from the floor with the deadlift? Uh, 255 kilos okay so that's and your max for the rack pull at that point <laughs> 260 wow so you could pull five yeah, was... one from the floor but then exactly 616 from the rack or i think at that point it was 250 in the deadlift and 260 in the rack but uh, okay still it was, yeah. I, I couldn't get braced. I couldn't get the tension in. It was just an awkward feeling for me. And then, um, yeah, that, that alone took, took months to get used to it, to be honest. I think at least two months. Interesting. And then Jason had me back down to 220 again and then build up. And that worked fantastically. Yeah. Um, so basically, but it's just one, um, it was just one session a week. And I think depending on, on the structure of your, the rest of your training, Lifting heavy once a week doesn't sound like much to most people, but I think, I mean, you yourself can tell how much of, um, how, how intense the deadlift can be for your body. Mm -hmm. And it's usually because it's to lift you where you can lift the, the most weight and, and which will take the longest for you to recover from. So yeah. usually once a week is actually about right for most people. If you're in the beginner phase, something like the um, uh, three times or even the daily dose program, if you plan your your weights according, accordingly, will work fantastically. I had deadlift plans where I was deadlifting three or four times a week with, with no issues, but um, you will have to work with a lower intensity. Mm -hmm. But but specifically for the Dini stones, you will have to train in, in those high intensity zones. And, and like I mentioned, usually... You can tolerate one heavy session a week and, and that's about it. Yeah. Maybe one or two lighter or medium sessions, which sometimes is actually quite beneficial for recovery. 
even more beneficial than than just resting completely. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the, the heavy session, that is something you just usually do once a week. Yeah, cool. Anything else that you wanted to add from the conversation before? I think I'm, we're good. We covered a lot of stuff. We did. <laughs> we did. <laughs> um, like I said, I'm going to link up everything. We still got those 10 questions, if you remember. So right, yeah. we'll, we'll go quick on those. Um, but I'm going to link up everything because uh, you have your social media. Right. And then there's a link through Strong First for people to be able to get in contact to be able to exactly. work with you. If they have questions, if they want to actually hire you as a coach, um, you're still offering that now? Right. Yeah. Okay. Or, awesome. or if you just want to get some more information about, I mean, Strong First or whatever. Which and do you just, typically work through people with people through video or um, just over the phone? How do you how do you typically work with people just in case they want to reach out and you know they say hey I want to I want to work with this guy? So it depends on what they want to do. So I what what I started to do I mean like like basically every coach during during the lockdowns was starting to do um, online training sessions, mm -hmm. which work quite well. But I also do some coaching calls. When, when someone wants a, a program, so okay. I write them the program, but then we also talk about the whole thing. And um, just to make sure that they're doing things accordingly, but sometimes you get a program and you're not really sure about how to go along with it. And uh, yeah, so usually it depends on, so in-person coaching calls, online training. Cool, all right. And then we'll put your Instagram on there. People could watch you uh, do the bent press, do the slow motion uh, kettlebell <laughs> swings with no shirt on in the cold. <laughs> and then one thing that really impressed me, which I mentioned last time, which I can't forget to you know give you a little shout out for because it's just very impressive. The sixty kilo get up. I mean that was that's like you know we're talking about you know a bent press with a good amount of weight, but a sixty kilo get up. Um, what's that like 130 something just for the listeners just for the listeners uh what 60 times 2.2 2, 132 so 132 pounds with <laughs> you know and nobody knows what the get up is laying on the floor pressing the get up kind of like in a bench press position while you're laying on the floor and then having one leg straight one leg bent leaning to the one side and twisting and then getting up to your hand elbow bend to your hand all while holding the kettlebell over your head, getting up into basically a lunge and then standing straight up and then reversing it all the way back down to the ground. I mean, that's just, and you do it, you know, with like what I do with the 24 kilo bell. So I'm all, I just, I just started getting back into doing the 32 kilo get up um, from working on a lot of other things. And it's, it's feeling a lot better. And I did, I did the simple and sinister routine with the 32 kilo, but two hand swing. Um, and I did the test and it, it, it went great. So perfect. Didn't kick my ass, which was nice. So I think the get up is an exercise. Basically everyone should do. Um, Pavel explains that quite nicely in the book. There's also a, um, a DVD series called kettlebells from the ground up which is, oh my, I think it was done in 2010 or something like that. Mm. Um, it was done with Gray uh, Cook from Functional Movement Systems and Brad Jones. So our director of education is from first. 
and basically what they say so if you're basically a, a strength training guy the get up can be your mobility training because you have to go through so many different postures um with the weight overhead which i mean if you don't have the control to to support the weight you will realize that that's even tough to do with um just a shoe on your fist balancing it there which is actually one of the 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 the, the steps we do before loading the get up just to make sure that your transitions are controlled and smooth but it can also be your your strength work for those of you who are more into let's say endurance training or maybe even yoga pilates what else um so it's it's a, such a versatile exercise that can give you so much um depending on on what you want to to get out of it mm -hmm. if i remember right you did it that was probably a while ago but you did a vid video where you did a bottoms up get up with a cup of water oh, on top yeah. of it that was that was a challenge started by a uh, strong first instructor in india oh. to 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 um, raise awareness to the water water shortage at that time in india oh okay so you were you you hold the kettlebell basically upside down so it's not resting on your forearm but the, the body of the bell is pointing straight to the ceiling and you were supposed to put a, a glass of water or a, a similar container on it and and do the get up without um losing the water <laughs> you didn't still drop <laughs> no but that was quite hard to be honest i mean <laughs> yeah, i bet i mean just how, how do you remember how heavy that bell was oh not heavy that was a 16 kilo bell 16 kilo bell yeah the, the weight was one thing but just but doing it having the, the the water on top of it that was yeah but you know Leah, for for people you know like you just described the the bottoms up position i mean you could do presses in that position but you have right. to have you know you're you're going to work your forearms you're going to work your wrists mm -hmm. and your hands and all that kind of stuff so it's not easy just to hold up in that position and then you got a cup of water on there that's pretty good man it, the, the bottom up position is is great i mean for those of you who are already more experienced with the kettlebell there is a it was a formal post on definitely on the strong first facebook page i'm not sure if it's on instagram as well where they basically um outline a simple progression to um work on that so mm -hmm. the first step would be just holding the kettlebell into uh, in the in the rack like that and then you would start marching or walking with it hmm. from there you would squat with the bell in in that position and then you would go overhead with it but that will do a lot of good things for you i mean um the, the feedback you get from the bell you you immediately know if you're doing things right or not yeah yeah but, definitely um what it what it takes from your body in regards of coordination because it's not just the grip strength to hold the bell in place it's basically the interplay of your whole body mm -hmm. so um how everything kind of stacks up on top of each other exactly so if yeah. you're not properly braced in the core your grip can be as strong as you want it to be you won't be able to squat with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that is um, creates a lot of body. Very weight. valuable exercises, but you should have a foundation before um, training them. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Run before, uh, walk before you can run. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Sven, this was great, man. Um, like I said, I'm going to put all the links on uh, in the show notes. But before we let you go, we're going to run through these. We're going to run through these questions and uh, you can be pretty quick with them. Okay. 
All right. I try to be quick. Usually I'm not, but <laughs> let's see how this goes. Uh, number one, who is your hero? Well, um, different people at different points in my life. Right now, I'd say um, my father, to be honest, because the older I get, the more I realize how much I actually learn from him and how much he, he um, taught me without me realizing it in regards of um, work ethic, values in life. And uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's very interesting. Uh, like I told you, it's the older I get, the more I realize that. And it's, um, I'm, kind, I'm curious what, what lessons he, he taught me without knowing it and without me knowing it. So mm -hmm. definitely him. That's awesome. What excites you? Simple things, to be honest. Um, seeing the sunrise and go down. Sometimes just uh, strength training. <laughs> Music. I, I love heavy metal, <laughs> which is probably not that exciting for most people, but I love <laughs> it because um, as chaotic it may sound, to some people, especially the more extreme metal versions that I like to listen to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can tell you there's very much in the music, um, technically songwriting, it's, it's fantastic sometimes. Um, it's not for everyone granted, but just sometimes I can lose myself in a, in a good album. It's yeah, cool. one of the things um, and the concerts in that regard as well. Mm -hmm. What turns you off? That's a good question. This is your second time answering these. I know. I'm <laughs> having a hard time the second time as well. <laughs> um, well, doing something quite recently, the way people treat their surrounding and the environment. So um, there, there's some spots here in Stuttgart where when you walk by on a Saturday morning, it, they're completely full with fresh. So people don't wow. even bother getting them to the next fresh bin that is just a few meters away from them. And yeah, uh, yeah I mean, that is a big turn off. It's, it's some, it's small things you can do that don't seem to, to have a, big impact but if you don't do them i think the 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 net negative effect they will have is something we all uh, underestimate so yeah yeah i agree what is your favorite sound someone laughing joyful laugh joyful laugh yeah nice what is your least favorite sound tough question and i don't remember my answer from the last time to be honest <laughs> but you're also not the same person you were last time so. yeah right so i have to pass on that to be honest pass you yeah. can't think of one thing no to be honest not no oh i have something <laughs> something somebody complaining for something uh, for, for results they want to have, but are not to, um, willing to put the work in for them. 
Mm. That is something I actually don't like hearing a lot. Yeah, that's a good one, especially as a coach. Yeah. <laughs> what is your favorite quote or saying? There are many. I post a lot of quotes in my story, to be honest. <laughs> and it's the thing that speaks, the things that speak to me uh, in that situation. Um, I think the most, the thing at the moment, and I made a post about that, to be honest, is uh, something by, by Nietzsche, which I, I can't, I have to, to, to paraphrase it. Basically, it's um, something along the lines, oh gosh, that I'm blanking on that. Um, as a pupil, no, you're, you're expected to be more than just a pupil when you're learning from someone. So oh, maybe I'll help your, you out. I know what you're talking about. One repays a teacher badly if one always remains nothing but a pupil. Exactly. That one. That one. That is something. Um, so I'll say when one, I read that, one repays a teacher badly if one always remains nothing but a pupil. But a pupil. I mean, those the teachers i had in my life the, the the true teachers they were always trying to get you to be better than themselves mm -hmm. so it's to some degree your obligation to at least try yeah i like that very deep uh in a few words what should a dad be a role model an inspiration, but also, how do you say that? Um, supporting and, and loving when understanding, because things will not always go well, uh, go, go well for you when, when you're growing up. Mm -hmm. So he should push you and, and um, encourage you to face challenges, but, but he should also be there when you're uh having a setback so yeah nice and in a few words what should a dad not be forcing his ideals on you mm -hmm. i think um you see that quite a lot with parents that they want their children to become what they think is good for them and not letting them choose their own paths. Definitely. Um, yeah, see, absolutely. It's funny. Um, you hear that very often, that, that that's something parents realize after uh, a few years when they tried and their kids got unhappy and then they realize that it's not the kid, but their, their mistake basically by, by forcing them to do something they they're not enjoying yeah absolutely uh if you could try any other profession what would it be this may sound like like a strange answer but um i'm, I'm i think that and it goes back to to what i don't like seeing um regenerative regenerative uh energy sources and also recycling strategies to to use um to better use the resources we have available here on, on this earth. That's awesome. Yeah. And you're doing something good for humanity. E exactly. Right. Yeah. And finally, 
what would you like to be remembered for? That is a big question. Yeah, that's a big one for the end. Um, <laughs> having made a positive impact in somebody's life. There you what, go. Whatever that may be. I'm not sure at this point, but uh, hopefully I'll figure it out in the next years. Absolutely. Well, you know, I mean, you, uh, that, that quote that you put, the reason I knew what you were talking about is because it's your most recent post on right. Instagram and you guys, um, you were, you actually just got to step into that mentor and teacher role recently, right? With the, um, exactly right. With the strong first SFG one, which is a uh, strong first, is it Gira? Gira, right. The, the Gira. Russian word for kettlebell. Kettlebell. Yep. And it's the uh, level one certification. So you got to right. teach at that course, right? So, you know, talking about impacting lives and changing somebody's life. I mean, you could have been a huge, I'm sure you were a huge inspiration. I mean, there's quite a big class here. It looks like I'm sure you impacted at least one person in that class. So um, that's, that's amazing. You know, so I hope so. I, I was hoping to give them the same experience that I was having at my level one back in 2016. Um, it's funny when you when you hear people talk about the SFG one being a life changing event. Um, from the outside, you think it's a bit overblown. But once you went through that course, you you realize that it's more than just about the kettlebell training. Um, it's, it's hard to explain if you haven't taken it. But it's um, the, the friendships you make there oftentimes last your whole life, even if you meet people if you even if you don't see them that often in your life afterwards for example in in paris at the sfg1 i was teaching at i met a friend i met i did my level one in 2016 with oh cool and and we haven't met since there we stayed in contact through through facebook and instagram but we haven't met ever since and seeing him there it was like like having met him a few days ago it was it was just fantastic that's cool that's very cool um, well, I have no doubt that you, you definitely impacted somebody's life there and, and changed the way that they look at something and put them on a different path or trajectory that'll be better for them. So absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. Um, speaking of thank yous, thank you for coming back on. Uh, sorry, we went a little over, um, but I really appreciate you taking no the worries. time. My pleasure. I love talking about all those things. I, I'm sure you do, but I know your girlfriend probably wants to go to dinner. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I will let you go, but again, thank you. I will link everything up in the show notes. If anybody wants to get in contact with you. Um, and yeah, that, that's it. That's all I got. Thank you very much, Jim. All right, man. Have a good, good one time. and yeah. uh, talk. See you guys later. You too. Goodbye. Hey guys, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Warrior Dads podcast. If you like this podcast and want to support it, please subscribe, leave comments, and share it with someone you think would benefit from listening as well. Thanks again, and keep on being a Warrior Dad.